as I mentioned earlier, we are continuing our sermon series on stewardship today. And that's sort of a big word, stewardship, that we're going to talk about. But it's a big word that means giving. Last week, as I was out of town, you had the wonderful privilege of hearing from my um, sister in Christ and our wonderful pastor, Reagan Gilliland, who talked to us about the first piece of our mission statement that says to love love God. And today we are talking about serving and serving others. And I have a few confessions for you today. And so I hope you will indulge me and and, uh, uh, love me afterwards. But my first confession for you this morning is that I am someone who really likes to sort. Now, let me be clear. I am not an organized person. I can sort things but I can't keep them organized. So I don't let anybody else in our house touch the laundry except me because you're not going to sort the laundry right. I'm not particularly picky about the dishwasher, but think of all of the things in our lives that we sort. We sort things into categories in our lives. The founder of TED Talk, um, Richard uh, Werman, actually said that there was five different ways that we sort talking sorting about sorting, but we sort things alphabetically. We sort things chronologically. We sort things by categories or we sort things by geography. And then the final category that he says is that we sort things by magnitude. My brain constantly is sorting things. Sorting things into right and wrong, yes and no, good and bad. Sorting things into maybe more complicated categories. Sorting things into where I can do them throughout the day. Sorting the things that are most important or the highest priority. All of us in some way or another are constantly sorting things. And today in our scripture, the same is true. There is just no way around it. I don't think that it would be wrong to say that uh, sorting is biblical. Because Jesus is sorting in our scripture today. So today we are reading what might be a familiar scripture to some of you from Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Listen for the word of God. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that you, we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those at his left, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did nothing. You did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's just no way around it in our scripture today, right? There's a lot of sorting going on. Jesus is giving us this sort of apocalyptic image. Other places in the Gospels and in Jesus' teaching, he chooses to teach through parables. Almost these riddles of sorts that ask questions and put you in the story. And today, Jesus is giving us a metaphor. A metaphor where all of the nations of the world are gathered together and Jesus begins to sort. He begins to sort the sheep from the goats. He begins to sort the righteous from the unrighteous. We see this magnitude of sorting first. And then Jesus sorts categorically as well today. Jesus says that if you are going to inherit the kingdom, if you are going to see God's vision for what the earth should look like and what the kingdom of heaven is like, if you want to see what heaven is like, then you've got to see these categories. Hunger, thirst, clothing, prison, health. These categories that Jesus is talking about are what make up for the fullness and wholeness of a person. That says basically that we cannot just care for the hunger of the person if they are not given water. If we aren't caring for the person who is in prison, then we are not caring for the wholeness of God's creation. If we are not caring for those who are sick, we are not seeing the full picture. Jesus gives us these categories and says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be sorted into the important category, the category of magnitude, the category that will see God's vision in God's kingdom, you have to see all of a person. You have to see every single piece now, I don't know about y'all, but I, I tend to image this and, and image Jesus' teaching. And as I image it, I kind of see the disciples and the people who are listening to this looking around. Or the people that Jesus is talking to looking around and then going, Lord, where were you? Like, how did I miss this? So confession number two for you um, this morning. I am a horrible horrible editor. Do not ever ask me to edit um, any paperwork for you for grammar. Do not ever ask me to look over something to see what mistakes there might be. I can edit things for content, and I, don't, I really don't know if I'm dyslexic or not. I don't think so. I think I've managed it okay. But um, my husband and I used to work together on staff, and um, he would do our Connect card, our bulletin every week, and he would send it to me to proof. And I would look at it and go, Yep, it looks good. 
And sure enough, there'd be one or two things that I was missing. And after about a month of this, he finally would put things in there on purpose and say, Julie, there are three mistakes in here. Can you find them? And I'm kind of like the disciples who are looking around going, I can't see it. I can't see it. I feel like maybe the people in this scripture who are saying, Lord, where were you when you were hungry and I didn't feed you? Where were you that you were thirsty and I didn't give you something to drink? I just, I just didn't see you. How could I have possibly missed this? Sometimes we don't see the things that God sees. We don't see the things that Jesus wants us to see, the categories, the wholeness of a person that Jesus wants us to see. You see, we talk a lot about commandments here at church. We talk a lot about rules. We talk a lot about the things we should do. What Jesus is saying to us in this scripture when he's talking about sorting, what Jesus is saying about the people who will see the kingdom of God, is he's not talking about the things that we've done. Jesus is talking about the things that we have left undone. Jesus is not talking about sins of commission. Jesus is talking about sins of omission. You may have heard this in a confessional or a prayer at some point in your life, but there's the prayer that says, God, forgive me for the things I've done and for the things that I've left undone. For God, there is a magnitude for us, not only in the things that we do or the sins that we commit, but also in the things that we leave undone. And Jesus is pointing to us again today about the things that we miss, the things that we forget or don't see or do see and choose not to do anything about. God, forgive us for the things that we have left undone, for the people that we have seen but we haven't seen fully, for the struggles that we see but we walk away from. Friends, this is a challenging scripture. And the more I read it this week and the more I realized what Jesus was asking of us, to care for each and every individual person and the wholeness of that person, all the parts that make us and dignify us as human beings. Jesus is asking us to do all of that. And I find this incredibly challenging. And as I began to think about, you know, what makes this challenging? How do we approach things that are challenging both in our own lives and as a community? When we see things that are challenging in our community or in our world, how do we sort it? Well, there's two main ways that we approach a challenge. Fight or flight, right? Some of us run right towards challenges. We just go straight first head first on into things, and we maybe don't even think before we act. And some of us just run the opposite way. But I think that there's another category here that I find myself in that is challenging for me. I find myself in the category of freezing. I don't find myself often fighting. I don't really even find myself running in the opposite direction. I find myself frozen. 
Maybe you're like me, and when you begin to look at the struggles and the problems of our community and our world and the brokenness that is all around us and all of the things that need fixing, maybe for you too, it just becomes so overwhelming that you just freeze. You don't know what to do, so we do nothing. We freeze. Maybe the biggest issue and repercussion of our freezing is that it makes us apathetic. When we choose to do nothing, as Jesus is pointing to in this scripture today, those sins of omission, the things that we leave undone, what it begins to look like and what our actions begin to say about us is that we are apathetic, that we just don't care. Now take that notion and apply it to the church. If our response to the challenges we see facing our community and our world as a church cause us to freeze up because we are so overwhelmed by them, what does it look like when you see an apathetic church? Apathy means that we lose the very definition of what it means to be the church. When we freeze up as a church and do nothing, we cease to be the church. We are instead, at best, a nice group of people who like Jesus and think Jesus' teachings are pretty cool. And at worst, we become just a social club. In the Old Testament, in Psalms 100, there is this famous verse that says, Worship the Lord with gladness. And then other translations you might notice will say, serve the Lord with gladness. So which is it? Is it worship the Lord with gladness or serve the Lord with gladness? In the Hebrew word there for worship and serve, they mean the same thing. We cannot worship God without serving. When we are serving, we are worshiping. The church is who God has called us to be when we are doing both of those things. When we do not disconnect serving our neighbor, seeing our community, being about and acting upon the needs of our community and the brokenness of the world, that is worshiping God. That is why it is a central part of the mission of this church. Because you cannot love God without serving others. We cannot follow Jesus fully in the way that Jesus has called us to in discipleship if we are not serving others. Seeing the fullness, it's challenging. It's challenging. The task that God has called us to is not one that is easy. It is not one that I can say that I do well every single day. And it is why I need the church. I need a place like this where I can come back and be reminded once again and challenged once again and encouraged once again to open my eyes, to get out of that place of frozenness and to act once again, to see Jesus and the people around me once again. So confession number three for you today. I am a person with anxiety. 
I have had uh, different moments in my life. This has a point, by the way, I promise. I'm not just telling you all of my deep, dark secrets that are in my journal. Um, I am a person that have had, has had different um, traumas in my life that has caused anxiety. So like when James went into the hospital when he was um, just over a year old, I had um, post-traumatic stress from that um, and found myself having panic attacks. Now, I didn't know that they were panic attacks at the time because on the outside, I looked just like this. Um, I, could, I could sit and, and just like this and, and say to you, I'm having a panic attack. Because what was happening on the inside was my hands would begin to tingle and my face began to tingle. And it wasn't until a doctor said to me, oh, <laughs> you're not breathing, that I realized that that's what was going on. So I began to do a lot of work with a counselor and therapist that I've been with for many years to really talk through, okay, so when you're having these panic attacks, what do you do? Because then as soon as I began to realize that that's what they were, well, then that made the anxiety worse, right? And when I would begin to have a panic attack, I would freeze up. I would become very still, I would, I would become immobile, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And my therapist told me to do something when these panic attacks would happen. He told me to go, he said, do you have stairs in your house? And I said, yeah. He said, why don't you go walk the stairs? It's like, this isn't the time for exercise. This is, like, you need to give me something, like, more meditative, more, you know, you know, Give me something smarter than that. I mean, I, I can consider myself a, a decently smart person. Like, I, I could do something besides walking the stairs. And so I kind of just nodded at him and dismissed it. And then I saw him again a month later, and he said, okay, so how's it going? And I said, well, you know, I, I'm, get, I'm getting better. They're becoming less and less. And all of the breathing work, which was really good, um, that I continue to do, like, that helps to um, make those less... Um, the time between them um, more extended. And he said, so, um, but when you had a panic attack this last time, did you do the stairs? And I said, no. He said, why not? I said, well, I didn't think it sounded like a good idea. He said, okay. Well, how's that working for you? I said, okay, fine, fine. It wasn't my idea, but next time I'll do the stairs. So the next time I had a panic attack, I went to the stairs and I began to walk the stairs. He said, now as you're walking the stairs, I want you to count the stairs. And I don't want you, I need you to put a number in your head and I need you to walk that many stairs and focus on counting and walking. And as I did that, what I realized is that a panic attack that maybe lasted for about an hour lasted for 30 minutes. A panic attack that then lasted about 30 minutes really lasted about 10 and then I found that I was somebody that really, really liked to be outside, that it helped me to get some fresh air. And so I went, instead of walking the stairs, I went and would go for a walk. Now, all of that seems so mundane to me and so ridiculous that I don't know how it could possibly help me. But what it did was it got me out of a place of frozenness. Now, what does that mean for us? I think God is telling us just to walk some stairs. You know, there are a lot of problems in our world. If you look around our community, even just if you watch the news, you can become overwhelmed so quickly by all of the struggles that other people are facing. 
that we may just not even know what to do. And I wonder today if Mother Teresa would be known as Mother Teresa if she set out to end world hunger and knew before she started that she would not actually eradicate world hunger. I don't think Mother Teresa had that miraculous of a goal in mind. I think Mother Teresa saw the person in front of her in need and found a solution. What does it look like just to take the steps? One at a time. We are a church here that partners with nonprofits and other organizations that are about those steps. It's like that old story about the boy who's throwing the starfish back into the ocean, and the guy says to him, you're not going to be able to save all of them. Why are you even doing it? What's the point? And the little boy says, but I can make a difference in this one. Sometimes we see so much that overwhelms us that, that we forget the person right in front of us. We forget that Jesus is in the individual and not just in the collective and in the whole. I had the great privilege this past week of going to a place called Hope Restored that's just down the street on Parker Road in East Plano. Hope Restored uh, began in 2014, and their goal, their mission at Hope Restored is to help people who are homeless. And as I went to that place and I went and sat with other staff members and, and listened to the mission and their story, what I began to realize what, was that there was this great need in Plano, Texas that I didn't even know. On the surface, you can think generically about, oh yeah, that sounds good. Help people who are homeless, great. But did you know that just in this past year, 20%, there was a 20% increase in the amount of people who experienced homelessness for the very first time? Why? Because the base amount for a one-bedroom or studio apartment in Plano, Texas, is between $2,000 and $3,000. And even if you work full-time at $20 an hour, you do not make enough money to live in Plano. So there has been a 20% increase in people living on the streets, living in their cars, just trying to get by. And as I began to hear the information, I got really overwhelmed. The amount of people in need, and how do you even begin to sort through a problem like that? How do you even begin to help someone like that? But the founder and, and CEO that we were talking to, her name is Tamara. We had the great privilege of meeting her while we were there. She started Hope Restored in 2014 when she was driving down the highway, and she was thinking about all of the things and sorting through all the things that she was about to do. She was about to open an assisted living place, and she had a dream and a goal in mind. And she said, I was minding my own business. When God said to me, I need you to be about my business first. I need you to be about my business first. And so she came up with creative ways to bring hope to people who are living out of their cars and on the streets. How is she doing that? She's problem solving. You see, there's this 
genius to generosity, when people begin to give and when people begin to come together and not instead get overwhelmed by the entire problem, but instead look at one problem specifically, people can come together and make way more of a difference. What she learned was that most people don't have a place to receive mail. We can fix that. We can create boxes in our office so people can put our address so that they can receive mail. Why do they need to receive mail? Think about for a minute, many of them don't have identification. And they can't even fill out the paperwork to receive that identification if there's no place to mail it to them. Another example was that of reading and glasses. They had people coming in that were filling out paperwork that couldn't see, that couldn't see the things that they were writing. Well, we can do something about that. We can partner with a vision glassware company. We can get glasses. She began to partner with different places, not only to give people food, but she began to give them financial services, ESL classes, a place to get their mail, a place to begin to do paperwork for identification. And what she told me in, in, in sheer honesty was that some of these places, it takes up to 12 to 17 months to get housing. This is not a one-stop fix shop, but instead what she is doing is building relationships. Meeting the person where they are. Taking the first step. And what she said was when people walk up, I can't do anything to fix their homeless situation if they are hungry. So we have bags of food for them. She said, I can't do anything to fix this homeless situation if people walk in and they're with their children and they're thirsty. So we have water for them. We have a clothing store for them so that they can have new shoes because they've been out in this heat this summer walking the pavement and there's holes in their shoes. What Hope Restored does is build relationships that build a family. And that shows God's love. That dignifies the wholeness of a person. I'm so grateful to get to talk to you about Hope Restored today because the reason we went over there is because they're a partner of this church. They are a ministry that this church supports. We are supporting them today, in fact. The hygiene kits that you see right outside these doors to assemble for them are going to Hope Restored to meet the basic needs for someone who walks in with a great deal of problems, but we start with step one. My encouragement for you today, my prayer for you and for me today is that we be a church who takes the steps. That we don't simply freeze up and get overwhelmed and do nothing, but instead we look at the person right in front of us and we see Jesus. We see where God is calling us next. We see where God is asking us to be part of something. I believe that the church is at its best not when we come up with things on our own or when we do things that we think are great, but instead when we partner with people who are already doing really good work. Hope Restored is one of those places that is doing really good work. 
It is because of the mission of this church and it is because of your generosity that places like Hope Restored can be about the work of our community. I encourage you today to go to our website, cumc.com slash serve. You'll see a lot of options of some places where you can serve. Take a step and pick one. Today, maybe just go out in the hall and assemble a hygiene pack. You do not have to eradicate or end world hunger today, but maybe take a first step. Because that is how we see the generosity that God has given to us and the generosity that God is calling us to be about. I want us to be that church. I'm grateful to be part of a church because I get to see the numbers. I get to see where our operating budget and our money goes. And I am grateful to be part of a church and be able to say to you with confidence that I am giving and you are giving to a church that is not just giving money to a facility. But instead, your gifts and your giving are facilitating the mission of loving God, serving others, and transforming lives.